0: Good morning, City Life. My name is Shemoy David, and I'll be reading for you guys today our passage. Join with me in flipping to Mark chapter 12, the parable of the tenants. It is written, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower. And he leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, He sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but fared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. This is your word of God.
1: Morning City Life. Good morning, visitors. Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad for that we get to be here again so glad that we get to worship god even like this at week 13 or something like that um losing losing count of the weeks um but we're grateful we're grateful that we can still worship that no matter if the building is closed then no church is ever closed and so we thank god that um we have this way of reaching out um Moy did a a great job at reading our scripture for the morning let's give him a round of applause but let's just dive in um this week as i read we were in we're going to be in mark 12 verses 1 to 12 and i just kept on thinking about the time when ryan was born i've shared the story of even the finances that went into that right i've shared the story of having to be a part of it way more than the the delivery than i ever wanted to Um, but I've never really talked about the days afterwards about how um, I don't know if postpartum depression is true in a guy and I and I don't even know if I really had it but man but those days and a couple of weeks after Ryan was born were a difficult time for me a time when I felt like I was just shutting down and I couldn't take care of my family and that was the one question that I went we ran and I stayed at my parents house for something I think 10 days after Ryan was born because we just I could not answer the question how do I raise this boy how do I be this boy's father how do I turn him take him from this little blob into this human being and and lead him in there who loves the Lord I couldn't do it I I emotionally was struggling that at that time I still remember it to this day But yet, in this struggle and in these years of being in this role for him, I have learned so much about connecting with God and his narrative and his story because really, if you look at all of scripture, scripture is a story about a father who lost his children and who's for thousands of years working away, working his plan, his redemptive plan to bring them back to him over thousands of years orchestrating all of these books and all of these things and being with the people and working here and working there to bring people, to bring us, to bring creation, to bring humanity back into rightful relationship with Him. It wasn't even just a way of how to do that, but to make us blameless and spotless before Him the way that only He could do with His plan that only He could fulfill but how is he going to bring us back to him? And I, I thank God that he is our father. He's our king. He's our lord. He's our sovereign. But he also tells us, hey, I'm your father. And we can count on him for that. Now, I love how scripture paints this story. And it shows us God in, in different relational ways. But they're always relational that one of the big ways that scripture says that he is again is this father who has lost his children and he's running after them i love how also this image of god being our husband the church's husband people's husband and that he's a scorned lover trying to get back his bride today we're talking about the the father part of this about reaching after his kids but really we're talking about how God is bringing us back to him. Our big idea for the day is that God's been reaching out for you ever since before you were born. That he has been after you. He is on pursuit for you. He is jealous over you, over his church. And that he is always calling people back to him. That is what he does. If you haven't read the book of Hosea, go and read it. Read about how God is a scorned lover read about the difficult calling that he called Hosea into but how that communicates volumes as to how God loves us and goes after us and redeems us every time read about God's heart for his for his people for his nation and the church and read that and i pray that today and in, in this parable that read today you understand more fully if you come into this sunday knowing that God loves you but not feeling it or wrestling to get it past just your head and into your heart, I pray that the Holy Spirit does a a special work in you today. I, I pray that we pay special attention to this story today because this story is a big one that God is crazy for you. He's crazy for His church. And all throughout human history, He has been redeeming us back towards Him. That is the picture of what Scripture is. That is the theme and the narrative that we see throughout all of these books written by so many people, inspired by God himself. And so know today, today that's what we're going to be talking about, that God has been on pursuit for you even since before you were born. And so let's look at this parable, let's look at this story that Jesus told, to a specific group of people but that communicates way past just these men so let me let me pray and give the holy spirit room to move in me now in this room but also where you are and where you're listening so that god can do something special parables work no matter where no matter what time because god speaks into our nature in these so let's give the holy spirit room to address us today So, Lord, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you've never given up on us. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time. I invite you into this room right now, and I ask for you to move in my heart, to bring me to places to preach your word correctly, Lord. And for everyone listening, Lord, I just pray that you would give us soft hearts, flexible necks. We'll talk about that in a little bit, Lord, to see where you're at, to do what you're telling us to do, Lord. And to follow you, to acknowledge that you've been after us for way longer than we ever considered. Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. We invite you into this time. I invite you into this time, and we ask for you to minister to us. You know what we need. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we really jump into this head first, let's just get our bearings on where we are in this story and also where we are in Mark, because we haven't addressed that we've hit a major landmark in our going through Mark's uh, presentation of the Gospel. The first, let's talk about what we talked about months ago when we were still in person about how Mark is divided up into three really nice acts. We have three acts that each address different questions that each, that tells us, that gives us stuff to wrestle with different questions and different focuses. The first act being, who is Jesus? You see, Jesus comes, and he gets baptized, and he starts doing all of these things, and they're like, whoa, this crazy, this guy from this small town, from this runt town, what's going on? We've known him all our lives. Some people are saying, oh, okay, this is weird. And that in Jesus' baptism, in the very first chapter of, of Mark, that he gets baptized, and God's voice rings out from a cloud from the heavens, and he calls Jesus his beloved son and culminating in all of those stories especially when jesus calms the storm and the disciples are just like well, who is who is this guy who is this jesus he's not just like you and me who is he and that then that moves us into act two and act two brings us to wrestle with another question is what does it mean for jesus to be the messiah okay we've already seen that he is special who is this guy? Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. He's doing all these things that only God can do. What does it, now he's starting to claim in various ways, in many ways, that he is the son of David, this Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. And so what does it mean? What is he teaching us? What is he calling us to? If he's the Lord, what is he calling us into? How are we supposed to act and live and be changed by him? And so what does it mean for him to be the Lord? This culminates in Jesus' transfiguration. When he peels back his humanity, shows us his true nature, the Colossians 1 passage that we talked about last week, that he's the embodiment of the invisible God. And how that is there's so much glory there, and it's even frightening to look at. But then again, God's voice rings out and says, This is my beloved son. And it's just... This crazy story after crazy story of Jesus' healings, of his teachings, and getting at this Jesus, what are you calling us to? If you're more than just this guy, what are you calling us to? And then now we are in Act Three. We have officially started Act Three. And the question for us now, our attention in these next couple of weeks should turn to focus on how Jesus becomes king. Okay, Jesus, we know who you are. We know that you're more than just a man. We see, we've see we seen Peter confess that you are the Lord already. How is it that you're going to take this next step? How are you going to become king? And whereas Act 1 and Act 2 really cover uh, the large part of three years, all of a sudden Act 3 gets super hyper-focused, and we're really looking at Jesus' last two weeks of his life before the cross. The last two weeks... Him facing and marching towards the cross every day. And so our, our story today helps us to wrestle with this question. To understand how God has been chasing you, how he's been chasing me all along. Before we ever even knew anything about this man Jesus. Before we ever knew that he was the king that we all needed. And so let's dive in. Let's go into this parable. And let's talk about the first thing that we need to talk about. That I've been calling God's vineyard this story I came into it and I knew this story I had studied this story before but really it has meant a lot more to me in this past week than it ever has before so let's start off we verse 1 is so jam-packed that we even have to stop and address verse 1 so that we know where the rest of the story is going verse 1 says this and he began to speak to them in parables a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower, and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. Okay, so first of all, let's address parables because we haven't talked about parables in a long time. And quite briefly, I just want to say this that a parable is like a story where God gives us a mirror. We look at the mirror and we see how our reflection is actually nothing like God. How far from God's perfection we are. And it's a convicting story. It's a story, the reason why Jesus' parables stand the test of time, the reason why they still speak to humanity all these thousands of years later, is because Jesus' parables (laughs) cut, cut past all the context and the circumstance and address your heart, my heart. And they show us what we actually look like and it causes us to be like oh god like wow i am plainly even just not like you i am not as good as you and so as we go through this story here hold this keep this mirror up don't relent don't look away let's look at ourselves for a little bit as jesus uses a vineyard to tell us about who we really are and so also in this verse one we have to talk about this vineyard now at the surface it we see this story about this man, he goes and he makes this vineyard. He gives it everything that it needs. He builds a fence around it. He gives it a pit, a wine press and a tower, and he gives it everything that it needs to succeed, everything it needs to do what it was intended to do. And he has so much confidence in this that he just gives it to tenants. They work out a legal contract. He gives it to them and then he even goes to another country. It's not even like he's down the street. He goes to another country and one day he'll come back and and take fruit from it get back and from his investment and so we might say okay yeah sounds nice I would love to go to a vineyard a vineyard sounds actually pretty pleasant right now in week 14 13 of our quarantine I would go to a vineyard right now give me a vineyard and I'll go to it it sounds really really great you know, as a New Yorker who was born and, and raised, not born, but raised to just not like Massachusetts, I would go to Massachusetts right now and give me a vineyard to Massachusetts and I'll go there for a couple of weeks and it's going to be marvelous. I would even love that. But this story is so much more than all of that. Let's read Isaiah 5 so that we can, uh, Isaiah 5 verses 1 through 7 so we can really understand where Jesus is taking us how this is much more than just a story about some vineyard. Isaiah 5 says this, Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for my vineyard that I may have done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedges and it shall be devoured So we see here in God's word, this is a harsh word, but it for us today, shows us that in Jesus' day, they would have gotten this in a second. You start talking about a vineyard, you know you're talking about something much more. You're actually talking about all of Israel. You're talking about the land, you're talking about the people, you're talking about the temple. Just like a few weeks ago, we talked about how the fig tree was the sign of the temple, where scripture often refers to Israel as God's vineyard that is that this story is more than just some vague moral teachings about some businessman who wanted to show off some botany skills or construction skills or managing skills but that this is a story to God's people at the time when Jesus is giving this, he's giving them a, a loving harsh warning about god's relationship with them but for us today this is still a reminder to us we call ourselves god's people right now and today in our age and so where are the areas that we've fallen asleep or where are the areas that we miss god's messenger all the time you know god's story if we look at god's story his relationship with israel it has been marked with god doing stuff for them For God bringing them out of this and that. For him showering his love and then us forgetting who he was. For us saying no to him. For us turning our backs on him. For us turning our back on the one who created this vineyard for us and gave us everything that we needed. And so let's be careful today to dismiss what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us in our walks with the Lord. Church, let's be careful of the messengers that we've rejected in the past and we'll talk about that in a second because god has been after you and he's been after me for a very long time let's also be be careful that we never think that we are more than just custodians of god's vineyard that we are just the ones who keep it and take care of it and live in it and abide in it but that we are actually not ever the owners of of anything God is the creator of the vineyard. He is the creator of all things. This story really reflects God's whole story. About how he is a loving father who has been after his kids for a long time. Who gives them opportunity after opportunity. And so let's go forward remembering this. God is the only one who owns the vineyard. And we work in it for him. So at the, at, the, at the surface, this might seem like a really hard message. At the surface of everything, this story might be scary to you and to me. It might, we might want to make it mainly about one thing or another. But it's really about the love of the Father. And so let's get into a really important part of this that I've been calling messenger after messenger. Read with me uh, verses two to seven. It says When the season came he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard, and they looked and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed. So with many others, some they beat and some they killed he still had one other a beloved son finally he sent him to them saying they will respect my son but those tenants said to one another this is the heir come let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours there's a lot there there's a lot to digest there when it was time to collect the owner sent a servant he said okay go get me what is mine portion of that fruit is mine and so go and get it and we see that this servant is taken and that he's set aside and he's beaten and sent away empty-handed and from that point on this rhythm of violence started to happen between the owner the servants and the tenants that as soon as they it was time to collect they didn't want to give him anything that was rightfully and legally theirs but every time a servant came, they treated him shamefully verse, chapter verse four says that they did shameful things to him they treated him shamefully and we see that opportunity after opportunity that this that the owner gives to them extends to them to do what was right to do what they had agreed upon and they rejected every single time. you know to me, one of the main things that this uh, story has done to me is has it's been exposing the excuses that I make for myself to not live my life wholeheartedly for God. See, I I can read this story and it seems it comes out of nowhere. The first time they sent a ser- the man sends a servant and they they beat him and give him and they ca- keep on doing that. And I can hear some of the excuses that they make in their hearts. I can hear because I, it's you and me and because I know what I do to make excuses for myself. Things like, oh, well, you know, inflation really jumped up this year. I had to keep more. Or you don't know the pressures. Or I'm doing all of the work. Or you don't know the societal factors that made me make this decision. Um, Excuse after excuse. And what this story shows us is that there's just utterly no excuse that would have been right. No excuse that they could have offered. No argument that they could have righted. But they were completely in the wrong. Even if we excuse or ignore that they killed people for this, and even more than one person they killed, there's there's no grounds in this story where these people, where these tenants may, were making their wise decisions. And so this passage again has made me wrestle really intently with my excuses, with the excuses that I give myself. Even the fact that I, I busy my life and and I don't have any time for God. Now, this week, I remember saying to him, I can't I can't spend this time to pray because I have to go work on the sermon. And I was just so convinced. I was like, P- what? Pedro, how does that even make sense? God's telling you to pray. And I said, no, I have to go work on my sermon. How does that even make sense? You know, I remember one time when I was in seminary. And I kept on telling people I was busy, I was busy, I was busy. When people come up to me and say, hey, Pedro, how are you doing? And I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm, man, I'm so busy, I'm so stressed. And in my second year of seminary, God told me, I felt it wholeheartedly. He's saying, don't ever tell anyone that you're busy anymore. People know that you're busy. Everyone else is busy. Don't say that anymore. And from that point on, I didn't. I tried my best not to. And I saw how much deeper my conversations would go with people. I wonder how many excuses that I still make in my life to not follow, or to not do what God has taught me. When he sends me messengers in my life, I wonder how many times I ignore them, how many times I make myself busy and I go at the end of the day or the end of the week and realize I didn't spend any time praying or spending time with my Father. You know that that makes no sense, and this also naturally brings up another question in this story. something I think actually probably most of us will ask is why in the world did the did the owner give them so many chances? Why did he send so many servants? Why did he allow so many people to get beaten or even killed? what like how does that make sense? What are you doing here, owner yeah, owner, what are you doing here? Clearly this is not the way that most of us would have approached this way. But it's this idea of messenger after messenger. That God, that this owner practiced mercy and grace and patience over and over and over again. Even when it made no sense. And so I read passages this week like Jeremiah 7. I looked them up in my commentaries and I, and I went to these passages and I spent time in them. Jeremiah seven and Second Chronicles thirty six, Jeremiah seven 20, verses twenty five and twenty six say this: From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants to the, all my servants the prophets to them day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ears, but stiffened their necks. They did worse than their fathers. God is saying, Israel, I love you. You are my people. You were called to be mine. You were called to live with me. You were called to be my set-apart people in this world. And I sent you prophets every time, day after day, every time you made bad decisions, every time you went astray. I sent you messengers time and time again. My love for you is evident because time and time again I sent people to bring you back to me. But yet, not only did they just say no, but they stiffened their necks and they actually did worse than their fathers. Or, or how about Second Chronicles 36, verse 15 to 16? I know that we are well versed in Chronicles, right? I know that that is one of most people's favorite books. Um, just kidding, by the way. But verse 15 and 16 say this, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose up against his people, until there was no more remedy. You see, time and time again, God deals with us with patience and mercy and grace, though we deserve to be dealt with harshly. God is persistent in his chase for you and for me to this day that still remains that God so loves us that He has been so He has been after us for so long, that He has been after you and me well before we were born, well before our parents were born, well before X amount of people have been born, that God has been dealing with us with patience and with love. And with this story, I'm like, owner, why are you being so patient? Why are you sending more people? Look at all these people. And God is saying, you know what? Look at all of the prophets that I have sent for you, Israel. Look at all of the people that I've sent to appeal to your hearts, to bring you back to me, to bring you back to your first love. Like in Hosea, to bring you back into marriage with me. But like here, like I'm a father and I'm the owner of this. And I'm just reaching out for you, trying to bring you back to me. You know here jesus is talking about the the prophets who came before him right all of the people that i actually wasn't even aware that so many of the big old testament prophets were martyred uh, were cut in half tradition says were stoned or were hung or were just treated so badly and mocked and time after time god has put his heart his word into men's and women's heart and we just miss it we just (laughs) missed it And that God's story is a story of this guy who's always trying to bring us back to him. You know, God's saying, I love you. Please come back to me. You don't know the damage that you're causing to yourself. You don't know what you're doing to one another. You don't know how your brokenness is affecting. And what a word for this time that we find ourselves, especially with all of the racial injustices happening, especially with people dying in the streets especially with this virus going around in the world that god is saying you know what come back to me come back to me come back to me you're mine i made you to be with me that life is better when you're with me like first like uh colossians 1 says that all things make sense with him because they're for him and held together by him and time and time and time again israel and god's people miss miss it and so city life what what are the questions that we have to ask ourselves with all of this now how, how many messengers have you missed in your life or have you ignored in your life or the or the times when god was doing something special and you could feel it but you let it slip away because you weren't willing to do something now how, how many times has god tried to appeal to your heart and to bring you back to him and, and we just turn our backs on what he's doing how is God calling our church, even our church, even our community to repent, to be about God's mission and justice in Jersey City? And how many times are we just not serious enough with God's calling for us? How many excuses have I made? If you're, I don't know if you're like me, but how many excuses have I made in my life to do what I want or to give God what I thought? I'll give you some of this, but I'll hold something back. How many times has the Holy Spirit convicted me of that? Even in this week has been insane. But yet, at the proper time in this story and in God's history, He said this. He said, "You know what? I still have another to send, my beloved son." Verse six. He still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, He sent them to. He sent him to them, saying, "They will respect my son." What we see here in the story that we do not. We know in Jesus' story that we did not. From the telling of this story, Jesus will be dead in less than a week. And I even think about all of the prophets who were martyred and who lived these difficult lives. And that God called them into living difficult lives. To, to face what they faced. And it's not easy but as a minister, as a pastor, as someone who feels called to, to join in this tradition of reaching people's hearts for God, I know that uh, anything that I experience in this world will, will pale in comparison to the joy and to the love that we have in God And that it is <laughs> that I need, that we need to be chasing this one God, this one son. And I thank God that God did not hold back his son, but that he sent his son. He sent the best of himself. He sent his blood. He sent his lineage. He sent this his son. Which is something that I could never do have enough courage to do with my son. But I thank God that time and time again he sent us his prophets, who spoke his heart to us. And then he sent his son, who came and lived, who even gave his life for us to be back remember back to the two times we've already even addressed it in his baptism in the transfiguration God is so proud of his son that he says, this is my beloved son he wanted everyone to know and yet he was willing to give up his son for you and for me and that's what the gospel call is is that God wasn't just he wouldn't just accept doing it any other way than than it costing him and for uh to bring some bring us back to him that it would cost God anything is the story of this God who loves us so much that the world that this love just is so not like us And so God has showered his people, Israel and the church with so much love, so much grace and so much mercy and that 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 takes that asks us to talk about this last point in this story and in God's story that I've just been calling taking shape. Let's read verses 8 to 12, 8 to the end. Verse 8 starts, And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Will he come and destroy the tenants and give, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others? Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. So here, in, at this point in Jesus' life, at this point in God's narrative, at this point of Jesus' confront, confrontation with the establishment of the of religion in Israel, We see that things are finally taking shape. That the culmination of all of these centuries of God's plan is taking shape. And we see that in a couple of different ways. See, right here, we're at the third act. Remember, we're in Jerusalem. This is covered almost every day that he's been in Jerusalem. And every day has been conflict after conflict, after conflict, of people challenging Jesus, of Jesus going and throwing people out of the temple, of cursing a fig tree, conflict after conflict. It's been an action-packed couple of days. And then again, in less than a week, Jesus will be dead, that he will be on the cross, that he will be in the grave. And after the death of his son in our story here today, we, we are brought to this question, what will he do? And it says he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to the others. This is where the warning is here. This is the part that makes us uncomfortable. This is the scary part. I read in one of my commentaries this week that even the English here even softens it a little bit. But in the Greek it says a closer translation would be that he will badly destroy those men or miserably destroy those miserable men. And so here we see the warning. We see the warning that drives us, the church, that drives anyone who knows God to bring people into, back into this relationship with the Father. Because one day, all of this patience and all of this mercy and all of this grace will have to be turned into action. And that day is going to be a scary day for all of us. That even us who know, who have assurance of our faith and our salvation that it'll be a day uh, full of a lot of sadness and full of a lot of pain. But it's this love of the Father that continually is calling out, persistently is calling out to all of the people, consistently sending people time after time after time again to remind us of what God is calling us to, that the love of the Father is so much stronger. And so here we see again that the religious the religious establishment the Sanhedrin were still afraid and they still wanted to kill Jesus and yet they ran they went away because they were afraid of the people and then we see this it kind of even feels forced in here this talk about a cornerstone and here is just this idea that God has been building this temple that God has built this physical temple and he dwelled in it. But you know, in Jesus, he was doing something else. He was building a new temple, a new covenant for us to be with him, to be this family, to accept him as our father, to say yes to his beloved son. And so this, the physical temple in there, anyone who supported that was, a, was a threatened by the spiritual temple about the new covenant that Jesus was doing, and so this rejected cornerstone was actually building a new one was actually building a new home for us and so kinda if you wanna summarize God's redemptive narrative at this point is that the Christian walk is really about us moving from one home into another into a home that Jesus built a home that is not made by hands or who is not made um, by the things that we know about read Acts chapter 17 But that in this house, we cannot be the lords of this house. We cannot be anything more than the servants. But how being a servant in this house is so much better than any other thing that we could ever imagine. And that this Christian walk is really us moving from being lords of our own home, lords of our own religion, and submitting to this God who has been calling us time after time after time and building this home for us to live with him. See, the, the cornerstone, uh, really quickly, is the most important stone that is put on the wall because it determines where it's going to be built and the straightness and the sturdiness of this house. And so again, Colossians 1 has been a big passage over the last couple of weeks, and it remains true because all things were made for him and by him and are held together by Jesus. And so remember our big idea for the day, that God has been reaching out to you So much longer than we have ever even been alive. So much longer than we ever noticed. God has been going after you. He's been going after me. He's been going after his church. He's been going after his people for far longer than we ever expected. Today, let's say yes to Jesus. Let's say yes to the Holy Spirit, to the Father and say, Lord, I want to be a part of this home. Bring me home. Help me to get there. Show me the excuses that I have been making. Show me all of the different areas that I'm not serving you, that I'm putting my home ahead of yours. And so in this house, we are all the tenants. Let's pray that God will continue to make us into better, better tenants. Say yes to our Father who's been after us for a long time. So to conclude all of this, to put all of this together, this incredible story of, of a vineyard and this guy who set it up, how it speaks to all of God's redemptive plan and what he's been after for generations and millennia for you and for me, for the church, for us collectively, for all of creation, but also for you personally in your heart and your soul and the salvation of it. A friend of mine, a pastor, he, he breaks this, this story down into two things. That there are only two responses that we can take from this story. And, and the first one is incredibly sad is that you hear this story, you hear that God's been after you, you hear that Jesus came, that God sent his beloved son to come and to die for you, to bring you into life, to bring you into his home, to bring you into this new temple that he was building, but that you hear it and you distance yourself even further from the Lord. Here we see that Jesus' opponents left the scene because they knew that he was talking about them. Instead of humbling themselves, instead of saying, Realizing, God, yeah, I need you. You've been after me. You're my father. They ran away. So you either distance yourself after hearing this story because you're accountable for what you've, been, what you've heard, what you've been taught. Or the second option is that you hear this story and it finally breaks through you. Finally let the Holy Spirit break through the walls, break through the defenses, the excuses, or just the busyness of life or the callousness that we have to him we let it break through and we we hear God saying I've been after you for a long time I have sent you my son I sent you Jesus to show you how to live to be the embodiment of me on this earth and that we have to call we acknowledge him as Savior as our Lord and we accept the work that he's done And if you want to do that today even online we'll include the button in here for you to get in touch with one of our pastors for us to talk to you, to talk through what it means to be a follower of Christ. If that is you today, if you've even been with the Lord and you you hear this story and you're like, God, I have rejected you and you need to repent, let's get in there, let's hit the live prayer button and pray with someone, talk to it on our MC call right after this. But we have to acknowledge as individuals and as a church, God has been after us for a long time. We either hear this message, we hear and see the life of Jesus Christ, and we say, no, I don't want that, and we run away, or we say, Lord, yes, I want to be a servant in your house. I want to be a tenant, a good tenant. and I want to follow you. Please don't let me (laughs) run away from you anymore. Church, we're we're called to stop resisting the works of the Lord, to listen to the messengers that he brings in our lives, to be the messengers for one another, let the Holy Spirit minister to us and bring us to places that we never thought imaginable and for us as a community to be led there together sharpening one another living our lives with one another and being humble with one another it's such a beautiful call that we have from our Lord that we don't ever do this alone but that we do this with him and we do this with one another and so let me pray to close our time today to ask the holy spirit to come and to to move in our hearts to do something special to show us if we've been saying no to him in any way and then we'll get to our prompt question lord i thank you for this day i thank you for your story here about this vineyard this vineyard that represents so much more so, represents israel represents your redemptive work with your people represents everything that you've ever been doing that you're a father and that you've been calling us back to you for a long time lord we repent if we've been saying no to you we repent where we've been saying no to you lord bring us in lord i say that i want to be your child and that i don't want to ignore what you have i want no more excuses so lord please do a mighty work in our church in my heart in our heart we love you we confess you as lord I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church. So for our prompt question, we're doing something a little different this week than we've done before. Uh, I'm going to read to us a written prayer that I believe was written in the 60s for this priest who was martyred uh, while defending his people of uh, injustice, of protecting them. And he was martyred for this. And he didn't write this, but it was accredited to him. And I read this because it helps us to know that we are, we say yes to the Lord and that he guides us and leads us, that we're not responsible for everything or to do everything, but that he gives us assignments and callings and that we can rest assured that God is the one who does all of this. He's the one who's been chasing us for this long. And so all we do is say yes and then we do what he asks us to do. And so this prayer to me helps me to know, okay, I am, That God will call me to do what he has called me to do. And it frees me up from the expectation of doing everything. That God has been chasing all of us to go after this together. And so this is called the Oscar Romero prayer. Let me read it to us. We'll have it available in the text. Um, But just listen to it now. It says this. It helps now and then to step back and to take a long view. The kingdom of God is not only beyond our efforts, it's even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom of God, the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said, no prayer fully expresses our faith, no confession brings perfection, no pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything. There is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. And so our prompt question with that is, what part of this prayer stands out to you? Let's just see how we are called to be workers and not the Messiahs, the servants and not the lords. Let's, let's process this through with our groups a little bit more. All right, church, we love you. Join your MC call. If you're not connected to one, email me at my at my church email address, preece at citylifenj.com, and we'll get you connected. We love you, and we'll talk to you soon.